Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on October 31st, Lord's Day Service. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hands, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use the preaching of your word to make us pure in heart so that we may see you clearly. We ask that you put to death whatever belongs to our sinful nature. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, I have to admit that my understanding of this passage was deeply shaped by a Martin Lloyd-Jones sermon I read 13 years ago. And ever since, my understanding of this passage has mapped very closely to Martin Lloyd-Jones's sermon. Now, it's hardly a controversial passage. The primary meaning is very straightforward. When Jesus heals the bleeding woman, he says to her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. 
And then before he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, Jesus tells Jairus in verse 36, do not fear, only believe. So we have two healings, and what's the common thread? Well, it's faith. But faith in what? You see, that's an important question we no longer ask. Nowadays, it's just enough to have faith. Faith in yourself, or faith in karma, or faith in the goodness of people, or faith in faith. But what is the bleeding woman's faith in? What is Jairus' faith in? It's not faith in karma, it's not faith in themselves, and it's not faith in faith. Their faith is in Jesus Christ. It's faith that Jesus Christ has the power to heal. And that is the primary meaning of this passage. That healing, that salvation is entirely and altogether in and of itself of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ who is the Alpha and Omega of salvation. He is the author and finisher of our salvation. He is the beginning and the end. And so in this passage, we have two stories that become one story. And so we have these two stories that are kind of intertwined together. And the two stories offer parallels, and the two stories are intended to be read together. So let me show you how this is, this is made evident by Mark, the, the author. He's intertwining these two stories. So, for example, in the story of the bleeding woman, of course, she's a female. And then in the story of Jairus' daughter, she's also a female. And that means that each occupies a lowly place in first century Roman society. In the story of the bleeding woman, she is described as an outcast. In the story of Jairus' daughter, she's described as a child. And so that means each is the sort of person who is usually ignored. In the story of the bleeding woman, we're told in verse 26 that she visited doctors for years. In the story of Jairus' daughter, we're told that Jairus, a man of consequence, is completely out of options. And so that means each is in a position where human means have been tried and have failed. In the story of the bleeding woman, we're told in verse 25 that she bled for 12 years. And in the story of Jairus' daughter, we're told in verse 42 that she is 12 years old. In the story of the bleeding woman, she touched Jesus' garment. And in the story of Jairus' daughter, Jesus took her by the hand. So again, each are linked by touching Jesus. And so we see that these two stories are intertwined. These two stories belong together. And as you read these two stories together, two questions arise. First is, how should we approach Jesus? And then second, what happens when you approach Jesus like Jairus did? So first, let's consider how should we approach Jesus? You see, this is a vital question, especially because when you read the four Gospels, you observe that different people approach Jesus and receive different treatment. Some approach Jesus and receive the greatest kindness and gentleness. Their requests are granted, and they go away rejoicing. But others, the scribes and the Pharisees, they approach Jesus and they are repelled. 
their questions are returned to them in the form of other questions. And then they go away murmuring, complaining about Jesus, disgruntled and angry. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, they go away determined to destroy Jesus. And so you have different people approaching Jesus, and they are receiving different treatment. And so what's the difference? Happens to be in a good mood when some approach him, and he just always happens to be in a bad mood anytime the Pharisees approach him. That's not what's going on. Jesus is ready and waiting to bless all. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Those are Jesus' words, and that is his attitude. So then what's the difference? Well, the difference is in the way they approached Jesus. You see, how we approach Jesus matters, because if you approach Jesus like the Pharisees approach Jesus, then you're going to get the same response from Jesus. And that's not what we want. How you approach Jesus matters. And in this passage, Jairus approaches Jesus and is received. His request is granted and he is blessed. So our question is, how is Jesus to be approached? And we learn three things from the way Jairus approaches Jesus. So how is Jesus to be approached? Well, first thing we see is that Jesus is to be approached with need. You want to approach Jesus? Come to him with need. Look with me at verses 22 and 23. It says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So in this description, Jairus is in great need. His daughter is desperately ill. The situation is desperate. And so he hurries on his way to Christ. And it's a race against time. The disease is progressing. The fever persists. The situation is desperate. Jairus apparently has heard about Jesus, and so it seems as a last resort, as a last resort, he comes to Jesus with great need. It says in verse 23 that Jesus implored him earnestly. In other words, he is, he is aware of his need. And so the first way we approach Jesus is with need. The second way we should approach Jesus, is with humility. Notice in verse 22, it says, he, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. So Jairus, even though he is one of the rulers of the synagogue, approaches Jesus with this marked humility. Here we have a man of authority, a man of importance, and he, in verse 22, he falls at the feet of Jesus. And it reminds you of what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 5. He's actually quoting a, a proverb. And Peter says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, Jairus here is humble. Jairus prostrates himself at the feet of Jesus. God gives grace to the humble. But then remember, God opposes the proud. 
So consider what Jairus does in contrast to the scribes and the Pharisees who come to Jesus to scrutinize Jesus, to test Jesus, to condemn Jesus. And they're treated differently than Jairus is treated. Why is that? It's because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so the scribes and the Pharisees come to trap Jesus because they hate him with this bitter hatred. And those Jesus, or excuse me, those, those scribes and Pharisees go away confounded and disappointed and condemned. But those like Jairus who fall at Jesus' feet, who, who acknowledge his greatness, who acknowledge his power to heal, they are not cast out. And this is just one of the reasons we kneel during the service and confess our sins to the Lord. The reason we do that is because we must kneel. We must kneel before the Lord. And if we do it together on Sundays, we know, we can guarantee that at least we do it once a week. We must do this. We must come to the Lord with this kind of humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You must fall on your knees, and it must hurt. And it does hurt. It's a concrete floor. We've all noticed the last two months. Kneeling is harder now than it was two months ago, right? That's okay. That's okay. Because this is the position of humility. Scripture shows us that those who come to the Lord humbly, those like Jairus who come to Jesus on their knees, not just saying we're on our knees, but physically on our knees, Jairus comes to the Lord properly. And you might remember in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus said this startling thing when he says, I didn't come to save the righteous. I'm not here for the righteous. In other words, God opposes the proud. I'm not here for the proud. I'm not here for the righteous. In other words, if you're like a scribe or a Pharisee and you come up to Jesus and say, oh, well, surely you don't want us to get on our knees. I mean, Jesus, you seem like a kind fellow. Nobody would want me to be on my knees. That, that could be uncomfortable. You know, Jesus' grace will cover the fact that I'm not on my knees. So I'm just going to stand here on my feet instead of getting on my knees. Well, God opposes the proud. Jesus didn't come for those kinds of righteous people. Mark 2.17, it's very clear. It's not the righteous that Jesus came to save. He came for those who are willing to get on their knees. It's not the righteous that Jesus came, but those who come to him humbly, conscious of their own sinfulness, conscious of their own helplessness and weaknesses. Think about what being on your knees represents. Again, not theoretically, but being, think about what being on your knees represents. And so Jairus comes to the Lord first with need and second with humility. And then third, Jairus comes to Jesus with trust, with trust. And, and notice something interesting in this story. Notice that Jairus does not speak after verses 22 and 23. He just, he goes with Jesus. And, and, and what's interesting about this is even as Jesus stops along the way to heal the bleeding woman, Jairus doesn't say a word. Jairus doesn't protest. He doesn't crumble, uh, grumble or complain about the delay. 
even though his daughter is on her deathbed. Just think about what you would probably be wanting to say to Jesus if you're Jairus. Jesus stops off and spends this time with this woman. You would want to say, wait, wait, no, no, Jesus, remember we talked earlier, you know, my daughter's dying. We need to keep going. We have a mission. We agreed. We have a plan. Let's go. That's what you would be tempted to say to Jesus. Jairus doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say a word. He must have felt bewildered when Jesus stops off to tend to the bleeding woman. Nervous anxiety must have overcome him. All sorts of thoughts probably came into his head. He doesn't say any of them. And the thing here is that Jairus completely trusts and submits to the Lord. It probably doesn't make sense in Jairus' mind to think, okay, I've talked to Jesus, we've agreed we're going to go to my house and heal my dying daughter. The children, the, child, the child is dying, we're going to go and, and Jesus is going to heal my dying daughter. And now as we're going, Jesus stops off, he delays. But Jairus doesn't say a word, he doesn't complain, he doesn't grumble. Why? Because he has completely submitted himself to the Lord here. And so Jairus is saying, okay, you want to stop off? Okay, I'm going to trust you that you're going to stop off. Doesn't make sense to me. Doesn't make any sense to me since my daughter's dying over here and you're now stopping off right here. But I'm going to trust you and submit myself entirely to you, Jesus. Jarius is content to follow Jesus' lead even when it doesn't make sense, even when the path seems to say we should be going here, not stopping off here. Jarius is trusting Jesus. He's yielding to Jesus' way, even as he himself is in a race against time to save his daughter's life. And so, how does Jarius approach Jesus? How should we approach Jesus? Well, we should approach Jesus with need, with humility, and with trust. And what I want you to see next is, notice what happens when you approach Jesus like Jairus approached him. Notice three things. First, consider that you are received. You are received. When you approach Jesus with need, with humility, and with trust, you are received. Notice the simple words of verse 24. It just says there, he went with him. Jesus went with Jairus. And so Jairus approaches Jesus with need, humility, and trust, and we're told Jesus went with him. Jesus saw his need. Jesus heard his cry. Jesus recognized his faith, and Jesus accepted Jairus' plea for help. Jesus doesn't turn him away. Jesus doesn't refuse him. Jesus doesn't answer him with a question. Jesus goes with him. And so the first thing that happens when you approach Jesus, like Jairus approached Jesus, is you are received... The second thing that happens is you are cared for. <coughs> Excuse me. You are cared for. 
Notice in the scene, starting around verse 35, just think about the scene that's presented here. So it's verse 35, so Jesus has stopped off, he's healed the bleeding woman, and so here we pick up verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Think about the scene. As they approach Jairus' house, the people speak to Jairus, giving him the, the heartbreaking news that his daughter is dead. But, but notice in verse 36 that before Jairus has the chance to react, before Jairus has the chance to answer, Jesus steps in, he interposes, and Jesus speaks these comforting words to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And the King James Version renders verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, do not fear, only believe, he said. In other words, before Jairus even had time to think, before he had time to feel the shock of the news, Christ is there to comfort him. Pay attention to how tender Christ's care is. Because when you trust Christ and follow Christ, you are not left alone. Did Jairus feel alone? Absolutely. But he was not alone. When you trust Christ, when you follow Christ, you are not left alone. He is with you. Hear that. He is with you. He is protecting you. He is guarding you. And he is guiding you. In Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's true. In John 15, 26, Jesus says, I will send to you from the Father a helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit. That's how God is with us, through the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but he will provide the way of escape. And so just as Jesus watched over Jairus, he will watch over you. The Christian life is difficult with hazards and temptations. Hard times will come. Seemingly impossible situations will come. Doubts will come. It will feel hopeless, but it is not a hopeless struggle. Why? Because you are not on your own. Jesus is with you. You do not face impossible odds. You are under the guiding, protecting care of your Savior. And realize this is not a generic point. This is not some generic sermon point. Realize this week when that decision seems impossible, this week when it's really, really hard, this week when you think, now this is impossible, what am I supposed to do? This week he is with you, protecting you, guarding you, and guiding you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And so when you approach Jesus like Jairus approached Jesus, you are received, you are cared for, and third, 
you experience Jesus' power. You experience Jesus' power. So when Jairus approaches Jesus, he believes Jesus can prevent his daughter's death. He thinks Jesus can cure her illness. And in this sense, he understands Jesus' power correctly. But, but Jairus does not realize that Jesus can also raise his daughter from the dead just as easy, easily as he could heal her sickness. And in this sense, Jairus learns a great lesson about Jesus' power. That Jesus has all power and nothing is impossible for him. If she's sick, he can heal her. If she's died, he can raise her. And so we must be careful not to measure Christ's power by our own ideas. What if, what if Jairus had limited Christ to merely healing? And what if his faith in Christ stopped there, just in healing, but now that she's dead, okay, so that means nothing can be done. Well, that, that, that's not what happens. He says, do not, do not fear, only believe. He, Jairus, seems to believe now that the daughter is dead that Jesus can handle that situation too. And so Jairus does not limit his understanding of Christ by his own ideas. And see, that's the big temptation for us living in the 21st century. Just think about all the knowledge we have. You can sit down and type in anything, and the answer appears on the screen. We think we know everything. The, 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 we're, we're children of modernity and post-modernity all wrapped into one. And what that means is we think we know everything and we're really cynical about everything. Okay, so we're walking around. I mean, we're just, we're intolerable people if you just think about who we are as 21st century people. And so we have all of these ideas about what's possible and what's not possible. As someone once told me, no, Jesus didn't raise from the dead because that doesn't happen. People don't rise from the dead. Well, what have we done there? We have limited our understanding of what's possible based on these ideas that are just absorbed into our mind. And so we must be careful. We have to be proactive about this. We must be careful to not measure Christ's power by our own ideas. Because not all of our ideas properly understand Christ's power. And so back to the story, what does, what does Jesus do? Well, after, after the delay caused by the bleeding woman, the house messengers tell Jairus he's too late, his daughter's dead, there's no point in troubling Jesus further. This is where we get verse 36, Jesus replies with the words of comfort, do not fear, only believe. And then Jesus expels those who, in verse 35, doubted Jesus' power to help now that the daughter is dead. And so that's the part of the story that the up-to-date preachers just leave out. You know, that doesn't fit with you know, how we're supposed to think about things anymore. Jesus doesn't expel people. <laughs> what he does here, you know, so the up-to-date preachers are going to leave that out. But notice, no, Jesus expels people. They laughed at him. He expelled them. They doubted his power of resurrection, and he expelled them. Okay, so notice this, picking up in verse 37. It says, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he'd entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside. He expelled them. Get out of the house. 
He put them all outside. Yeah, Jesus says that, by the way. He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So again, no, Jesus puts them outside. He expels them. The mocking people put themselves against Jesus. They laugh at Jesus and doubt his power of resurrection. And so Jesus casts them from the room. But Jairus and his wife, along with Peter, James, and John, they go in to the daughter's room. So picking up verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And so see, Jairus experiences Jesus' power because Jesus goes in. He takes hold of her hand and raises her again to life. And so what we see in this passage is when you approach Jesus with need, with humility, and with trust, you are received, you are cared for, and you experience Jesus' power. And this is why the theology that depicts Jesus as merely a man who merely came as a moral example fails every time. And this is why the theology that, that depicts Jesus as merely announcing God's forgiveness also fails. Now, Jesus does all of that. He is a moral example, and he does announce God's forgiveness. Indeed, he accomplishes it. All that's true. But the glory of the gospel is that he does more than that. For according to the gospel, it's not just that Jesus died and paid the penalty of sin and forgives our sin. That's all true and it's glorious. But it's also that Jesus is alive and though unseen, yet he is forever at hand with you right now, with you this week. Jesus raises Talitha from the dead. Jesus, too, was raised from the dead. And since he is alive, Jesus is part of our life now through the Helper, through the Holy Spirit. It said in verse 24 that he went with him. It said in verse 24 that Jesus went with Jairus. Well, look at the character of Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus does. Salvation does not mean that once you're forgiven, you go back out into the dark and difficult world to face it on your own. It doesn't mean that you go back out into the world to face the trials and temptations and difficult decisions on your own in your own weakness. No, what salvation means is it means you are forgiven, you are declared right with God, and when you now go out into that world of trials and temptations and seemingly impossible Decisions. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, accompanies you. He is with you. And that is not an abstraction. That's the truth of the Spirit that resides in your heart and mine as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in conclusion, Jairus approaches Jesus with need, with humility, and with trust. And when you do the same, just like Jairus, you are received, you are cared for, and you experience Jesus' power, such that healing and salvation is entirely and altogether in and of Jesus Christ himself. Let's close by praying together. 
We ask, Father, that this week we would remember that you go with us, protecting us, guarding us, and guiding us. We know the joy of seeing the face of a friend. How much more do we rejoice in seeing your face, O Lord, and in calling you our Father in Christ. We thank you for this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.